Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. And, uh, there. and uh, I'm going to read the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 3. And I want to talk a little bit this morning. I guess if I was going to title this message, I would title it, No More Lameness. And uh, how many are ready for No More Lameness? And, uh, and so I just want to talk about it a little bit this morning. And, uh, and so I've seen this passage, uh, read it many times, and, uh, but God's uh, shown it to me in a fresh and a new way. And so praise God, hopefully it will be for you also. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it said, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for alms. And fixing his eyes, and fixing his eyes on them, John and Peter said, look on us. So he gave, he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God. All the haters saw him walking and praising God. All the doubters saw him walking and praising God. All the skeptics saw him walking and praising God. Hallelujah. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, uh, uh, the Bible says all saw him walking and praising God. And it's amazing. A lot of times what God does for us, uh, God loves to do. Uh, he doesn't just do it in secret, but God also does it in open. How many are thankful that God, when he ministers to our lives, that when he heals us, when he touches us, when he moves on our lives, that he does it openness, openly. And so I want to talk a little bit about no more lameness this morning. The word lameness the word lame here, it said he was a man that was lame. The word lame here means um, uh, to only exist. It means to be contained in one place. In other words, this man's lameness was, was described by the fact that his only, his only life was to exist. He had no particular purpose in life. He could not have dreams. He could not have a vision for his life. He could not plan his life. He was only to exist. His lameness kept him in and contained him in that place of just existence. And I'm here to tell you that's what the enemy wants to do to you. 
is to bring you into a place of lameness where all about your life is not about the purpose that God has for you, but that God cripples you and lames you so that your whole purpose is to exist, that you don't have dreams, that you don't have purpose in life. Your lameness is to contain you in one place, to keep you locked down into one particular way of life, to lock you into what cripples you, to what keeps you from moving forward, to what keeps you from stepping out from that place that you sat every day or that, that predictability that's in your life where there's, there's nothing more than just existing. Have you ever met anybody whose life is just about existing? Whose life's just about waking up every day and as long as they're able to get food in their belly and lay their head down at night, that's all that they hope for. Can I tell you, Jesus is more than that. That's all they hope for. That's all they have hoped for. That's all they, they believe for. That's all they hope for. And I love it. This week, God gave me a scripture this week, and I shared it with somebody who needed a word, and it was a word that God gave me. And how many know the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick? But when the desire of it comes, it's as though they are eating out of the tree of life. Y'all know the tree of life in the garden? Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Revelation, it says that, that the overcomer, the promise of the overcomer is that he may eat of the tree of life. The tree of life is that which is eternal. It's those things that are eternal in our lives. You eat of the tree of life, you're eating something that's eternal, not something that is just uh, a fleshly, but something that has eternal properties in it when you eat of it. Do you know hope is the bread of the overcomer? Hope is the bread of the overcomer. Every overcomer, somewhere along the lines, there's an infusion of hope that comes into their life. It's hope that wakes them up every day. It's hope that, that, that gives them the strength to go through and not just exist, but believe that God has something much better than where they're living and what they have right now at this moment. But in order to dig into this passage, I, I want to take a moment and, and, die, and before we dive into the text and, and let you know some of the climate that is surrounding what is happening here, uh, uh, here at the temple in this hour. What is going on? What is, what is some of the backdrop? Or as my wife would say, what is the backstory? How many know wives want to hear the details? They want to know the backstory. You know? It's kind of like uh, I saw something on the internet. Uh, of course, you can believe everything on the internet. I saw something on the internet the other day. It was a guy, uh, he was telling a joke. He said that his, he went into his wife and he said, uh, uh, I want you to know so-and-so had a car accident. And his wife said, well, well, where were they when they had a car accident? He said, I don't know. All I know is she had a car accident. He said, well, well, how bad are they hurt? I don't know. All I know is that they had a car accident. And, he, and she said, well, well, what hospital do they go to? He said, well, I don't know. All I know is they had a car accident. She said, well, well, well was anybody else with them? Was the other person hurt? I don't know. All I know is that they had a car accident. And she said, well, what in the world do you know? He said, all I know is, is that they were in a car accident. And so sometimes, I mean, no, sometimes we need the details. We need the backstory of what is happening. And here in the book of Acts, what you see here beginning to happen, Peter and John are coming up 
at the hour of prayer, the scripture says. It, it's, a, it's a time that Jesus, uh, a time that Jesus, actually the ninth hour of prayer was a time that Jesus was crucified. And it says that they came up at the hour of prayer. Now they did not come up to sacrifice. It says they come up at the hour of prayer. In other words, why did they not come up at the hour of sacrifice? They didn't come up at the hour of sacrifice because the, the real sacrifice had already been made. The sacrifice of the cross had already been made. Jesus was sufficient. They didn't no longer need to come up and kill bulls and goats for the redemption of blood. They came up to pray now. They came up to pray because Jesus had already satisfied the sacrifice that needed to be made. And so the disciples came up, and they came up, and uh, uh, as they came up, it's interesting because here they're coming up at a time when really was kind of scary for them because Jesus had just left them alone. He had just let them, left them alone to practice what he had taught them. In other words, he had left them alone. Now they're coming up, and now they're released to do everything that Jesus had taught them on their own. They don't have much experience in it. All they know is that they're called to do it. I remember my first ministry assignment that I didn't have very much experience, but when I went in as a youth pastor, it was scary because I, I, had the not, I didn't have any experience to lean on. All I knew is that I was called to do it, and it's the same way I remember when I first became a pastor, not having a full resume of experience to lean on that would pull confidence into my life. It was just, I just had to trust in God. It was, uh, you know, experience will sometimes bring confidence to do something. But here, we're at the beginning stages of the church. They had not even, they were not even called Christians yet. Deacons and elders have not yet even been established in the church. And the church here is really beginning to try to find its footing. And so the miracle that happens, that occurs at this time in the, in the life of the disciples is is at the time that this miracle occurs, they're still trying to figure out, are they enough? Are they able and capable of doing what Jesus asked them to do? That's kind of what happened. This miracle happens in a moment when they were not extremely confident in what they were doing, but, but they, were, they were at this place where now they had come to this place and, and, and the only thing that kept them from being totally insecure in chapter three is what happened in chapter two. In the upper room, as they are trying to figure out what they're to do and, and, and when at, at the time that Jesus departed, they're trying to figure out who's going to replace Judas, where are they to go next. But it's in that setting, in the upper room, the Spirit of God fills them with the Holy Ghost. So it's not, it's not their own spirit that they're walking in now, but they're walking in the Spirit of God. They're not walking in their own spirit. They're not walking in their flesh anymore, but they're walking in the spirit of God. And not being able to trust their flesh, relying on the outpouring of chapter 2 so that they can do the exploits of chapter 3. See, if you struggle with chapter 2, chapter 3 will be difficult for you. Because in chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And in chapter 2, it's important because sometimes the anointing will help compensate in areas of your life that you may not feel confident or experienced. 
And, and that's, that's the good thing about God is that sometimes we may not have every experience that we need in order to do the will of God. But thank God if we allow the anointing of God to come on it, the anointing of God can make up for those areas that we may not even have experience or those areas in which we may not even be gifted. That being said, they're coming up to a temple in that in itself is complicated also. They're coming up to a temple that that is, is referred to as Herod's temple. Herod's temple. Now, Herod was a Roman, not a Jew. You say, well, how did a Roman get a temple? And so Herod, in uh, Herod's temp- temple, what you have is, is, is a mixture of faith and government. What you had in this temple, what makes this temple complicated is that there's this mixture of faith and government. It is a result of a of a of a uh, a combination of Roman uh, impact or Roman influence uh, that began to infiltrate uh, every aspect of their life, and so not only did the Roman culture affect the way they lived, but now all of a sudden the Roman culture began to influence the temple and the church, and so here you have this combination of. Roman impact and and the Roman Empire had infiltrated uh, many aspects of the Jews' life. The Jews uh, were trying to fighting and was trying to hold on to their culture, but the Romans so infiltrated their system that all of a sudden they began to lose the very things that made them distinctive and belong to God. How many know that if you'll let the world and let Caesar come into the church... He'll begin to remove everything that makes you distinct about being part of God's people. That's why it's important that we stand for our religious rights. That's why it's important we don't let Caesar tell the house of God how it's to behave, how it's to do, how it's to be, when it's to do, and what it's to do. Because once Caesar gets into the house, he'll begin to erode everything that distincts us and everything that makes us who we are in the body of Christ. That's why we always got to keep the world at an arm's length. That's why we always got to keep government at an arm's length. And so we have to understand that there's some distinctiveness about who we are as believers. There's some things that God has put in the church that he's not put anywhere else. And if we begin to let others take that away from us, then all of a sudden now we become part of this collaboration of influence of the world where we no longer have God's hand on us and the glory of God in us, all of a sudden we just become a mixture of government and religion. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? That's exactly what has happened to the church. They were trying to hold on to what was what was what was godly, but but what happened was they lost, they had already lost their succession of kings. They had already lost the fact that, that, that you know, they had lost those heirs and they were almost ready to lose the, the priesthood. That's why it was so important at that time that Zacharias and Elizabeth have a baby. Why? Because in having a baby, they would be able to, to keep the secession of the priesthood alive. And the reason why that was important is because the priesthood was all that they had left. There really wasn't anything else. Rome had infiltrated every other part of their life. All their traditions had been wiped away. 
had been gone away, wiped away. They all had been wiped away. And the only thing that was not wiped away was the fact that they still had a priesthood that was still intact. And so we come up upon this temple, and you must understand that, 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 that God has used this very image of the temple to express himself and to distinct them from everyone else. It all began when God gave them a tabernacle, Moses' tabernacle of tents, and they were nomadic, and they began to to uh, march toward out of Egypt. He brought them out of Egypt and they were nomadic and they, they began to travel. And so they, they, were, they, they were trying to possess the land, but they had the presence of God. They were pulling up tents until they got to a promised land. Now they're in the land, but they, don't, they can't find the presence. What would you rather be? Someone who's trying to possess the land but have God's presence? Or would you have the land and not have God's presence? This temple's always been a difficult thing for the children of Israel. Matter of fact, uh, God even got to the point of his frustration. He allowed to have what was called the Tabernacle of David. The Tabernacle of David was the Old Testament tent in which David uh, set up, and it 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 was set up by worship. In other words, you could enter in by worship. You didn't have to slay bulls and goats. It was a prophetic picture of what God was going to do in the New Testament. Acts chapter 15 tells us about God wanting to bring a restoration of the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David was surrounded by worship. If you praise him and worship him and come to him into his courts with praise, then he'll show up. His presence will show up. He was trying to teach them that, that he is his, the primary thing is his presence. How many know this morning the primary thing is his presence? David, his son, wanted to build him a temple, but because of the bloodshed that was on David's hand, he would not let him build the temple. So, so, so Solomon, instead, Solomon finished his father's vision. Solomon was the one who was able to finish the very temple that David wanted to finish. It was his father's vision that that had finished it. How many know the fathers should always see farther than they go? Fathers should always see farther than what we go. Church fathers should always have the ability to have the vision to see much further than where a father could go. And And so it was his son that finished the temple. And you see that in the land of his sons and daughters. And and what happens is David didn't get to experience that. But it doesn't mean that he was a failure. It just means that he seemed farther than his arm could reach. And the truth is, true fathers should always have a vision that should be completed by the sons and daughters. That's why it's important to have vision in our life. And Solomon built the temple. It wasn't just the temple. It was an elaborate temple. It was a collaboration of, of Solomon's wisdom and God's power. Matter of fact, it was, it, was, it, was, um, it was one of the most amazing things on earth. And what made that temple different was that the glory of God set on that temple so strong, uh, uh, set on that temple so strong that the presence of God was so strong that even the order in which Solomon had set up that the presence of God, the glory of God would fall and disrupt even the order that Solomon had. And Solomon had order because the queen of Sheba was so amazed at, at, at Solomon's men, how they went up and how they prepared and how they were. It said it took her breath away. 
But when the glory entered that temple, it disrupted all of that order. And I want to tell you, the glory of God will disrupt all order that man tries to put together. I want to tell you, there is a glory. I said, there still is a glory. There still is a glory that can come and disrupt and a glory that can come. It said the priests would fall on their face because the presence was so strong. The singers couldn't sing because the presence was so strong. The glory on that temple was so strong that, that many times that the duties could not be, could be done because of the presence of God. I, wouldn't it be good that we get back to the day when the glory of God fills the temple so strong that there's a, that there's a glory, there's a glory that'll knock the drummer off his drum seat, that'll knock the worshiper on his face, that, that'll knock the preacher over. Listen, there is a glory, there is a glory. There is a glory that can come, that can disrupt. Hallelujah. And it wasn't the gold and the silver that made that temple special. It was the glory of God that fell on that temple. God told him later, he said, for the gold is mine and the silver is mine. That is why Zerubbabel's temple when they made Zerubbabel's temple, it wasn't made out of gold and, and silver. It was made out of the simplicity of building the inside out. How I many know God loves to build us from the inside out? He was reminding Zerubbabel and reminding, uh, the scripture tells us in Ezra, that the old men began to remember what it was like when the old temple and the glory fell on them. And the young men were satisfied because God gave them a place to worship. And so this temple, this is the temple, this is the day, this is the hour, the temple in which they come on. But even Solomon's temple fell into captivity. They fell into captivity. They were led into the captivity of Babylon. One theologian said it like this, that as they came, the Babylonians raped their women and castrated their men, put them in chains, led them, and carried them away. And as they were carried away with blood dripping off of them from the invasion, they said, uh, they said, should we ever forget Jerusalem? Let the tongues of our mouth be stuck to the roof of our mouth. And as they went, they long, they went along and they said, sing us a song of Zion. Sing us the song. Isn't it just like the devil that tried to tie you up and then dare you to play praise God? Y'all hearing me? Isn't it like the devil to get you into a, a, a difficult place and chain you up and tie you up and say, praise your God now. Praise your God now in the middle of this trial. Praise your God now. Your husband's left you. Praise your God now. You're in the middle of sickness. Praise your God now in the middle, in the middle of a lost job or a lost loved one or the worst news you could ever get. Praise your God now. You know, sometimes, every now and then, we've just got to break out in a song in the middle of our struggle. Sometimes we just got to learn how to praise God even when things are not best. Sometimes we got to learn to praise God even in the midst of the difficult days in our life. Because if the enemy can lock you down, if he can take your praise, if he can remove everything that you worship and how you worship, if he can keep you lame so that you just exist, that you don't bring glory to God, I'm telling you, the greatest Christians who mature are those who learn to worship God in the midst of trial and struggle and willing to praise God even when the devil's tied you up and think he's got you. 
Sometimes you just need to praise God. Even in the midst of it. And they cried out and said, oh, God has turned our captivity. God has turned our captivity. They said we are those, we are as those who dream, it says in Psalms 120. We are as those who had dreamed. God has turned our captivity. How many know God has the ability to turn your captivity? God has the ability to turn it around for you. When you didn't think there was a way, God could have turned it around. Turned it around in your favor. Solomon became scared that the presence of God would leave and he cried out to God, God, what are we to do? What are we to do? God said it like this. He said, Solomon, if you ever lose the glory, if my people who are called by my name, uh-huh, if my people who are called by my name, huh, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, he said, then I will heal their land. You know what he's saying? You know what God's saying to him? God's saying, if you ever lose it, you can get it back. How many are thankful that if you ever lose it, you ever lose God's presence, you ever lose the glory, you can get it back. If a church ever loses it, they can get it back. How many are thankful that you can get the glory back? Because why? Because the Bible said that he said, he said, uh, I shall restore the years that the canker worm and the palmer worm had stolen from you. Thank you, Jesus. And so it's in this setting. It is in this setting. The religious government has infiltrated the temple, and, and, and here we have a lame man that's sitting outside the temple, and then we have a lame, dysfunctional temple at its best. And what made it lame is that the glory of God was missing. The glory of God was gone. And so it was dysfunctional in itself. The temple in itself was dysfunctional. And so you had these priests who were in bed with the politicians. You had priests that were just political. They weren't real high priests. They were just in bed with the Roman government. And now that Jesus is gone in the temple, Peter and John came up in this hour to pray. It's a temple that was religious but carnal, spiritual but political. The priests were in bed with politicians. And it says that here we see as they came up to a temple that was lame, they came up and before they went into the temple, they saw a man who was lame. And they came up and it says, and they saw the man, he was standing and he was sitting at by a gate called Beautiful. Now what's interesting about this gate is the meaning of this gate. There's, there's a couple different meanings, but the main meaning is this. It means that, it, 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 the word means to be fruitful or timely. It means to be mature. It means to be a gate that flourishes or right season. Here is a lame man laying beside a gate that means beautiful, that means rightness, maturity, fruitfulness. It means, it means flourishing. It means the right season. And there's a gate, there's a lame man on this side, but then there's a temple over here that is dysfunctional because it no longer has the glory of God in it. But yet there's a gate that lays be between them that speaks of fruitfulness 
and it speaks of right timing. It speaks of maturity. Huh. It's amazing, isn't it? A gate called beautiful. They come up at the ninth hour to pray. And so there's such a con. A, a contrast between, or such a, a, a familiarity between the lame man and the temple. The temple, of course, had no glory. There was no, there was, obviously, there was no power there. And, and it was functional, but there was no glory. The lame man was also functional, but he couldn't walk. He could see, he could move his arms, he could move his torso, he had a spine. He was functional, but he was lame. There was a temple that was functional, but, the, but the, the veil had been ripped and the glory of God had already been gone. It was religious, it was functional, but the glory was gone. And so you have this temple inside the gate is just as lame as the man on the outside of the gate. And so we have this man, this lame, outside the gate. And it says he's lame. The Bible says he was lame from his birth. Now, he wasn't a military man whose ankles got shot and he became lame. He wasn't, a, he wasn't like Mephibosheth who was born and dropped and became uh, disabled or became uh, 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 lame. This man never walked. And when you never walked before, when you've never experienced walking before, from his birth, he began to develop ways in which he could figure out how to survive. If lameness is all you've ever known in your life, if lameness is all that you've ever experienced in your life, then that lameness becomes normal to you. You hear what I'm saying? Are you with me? If all you've ever known is abuse, then abuse in your life becomes normal to you. If you've always lived in a dysfunctional place, then dysfunction is all you know. If you've always lived in poverty or wickedness or betrayal, then what you do is, is, not, is that, that you believe that that's normal, so what you do is you develop a system in your life that helps you survive in the midst of it. Hang with me. I'm going somewhere this morning. I'm going to try. And that coincides with what is normal to you. If all you have known is those issues that have made you lame in your life, then you've never known what it's like to be free. You've never known what it's like to be healthy. You've never known what it's like to live a life that's full and a life that has the blessing of God on it. Then you accept your normal where you are you accept that as normal and you develop coping skills in your life so that you're able to maintain your lameness but yet still survive. Are y'all with me? Have I lost you already? Here you have a temple that has no power and no glory that is functional and you have a man that has learned to survive himself being dysfunctional 
by putting things in his life that helps him overcome his dysfunction and still realizing that maybe there's an opportunity where he can, he can be whole again, that he doesn't know the prospect of hope because he's only known lameness. That's all he's ever known. That's all he's ever experienced. In other words, if, you never, if he's never walked, then my hope then my hope of it dies because I can't visualize what I've never experienced. He can't visualize what he's never experienced. And what happens is, is that if, you, if, you've, if you've never been loved, you go around and you say things like this. If you've never been loved, you go around and say, well, I don't need anybody anyway. We build walls. If you never had a father, you say, I don't need a daddy. I don't need daddy anyway. I don't need a mama. I don't need a mama anyway. Right? We talk ourselves into survival. We talk ourselves into the modes. And, we get, and, and, and what happens is we have a, narrow, a narrative that helps us cope in the areas where we lack. <laughs> so we're happy being lame. We're happy being lame. Because we know that even though we're lame, we've moved into coping skills that help us exist. But how many know God wants you to have more than just exist? How many know God wants you to be more than just exist? How many know God don't want your lameness to keep you from the dreams that God has given you? How many know God don't want you to co just to begin to, to coincide or, or to cooperate with your lameness? How many know God wants to heal your lameness? God wants you to stop building things in your life that cover your lameness and give you an excuse to be where you are. God wants to give you a hope that's far beyond. And you say, well, I've never known love. But you fall in love with Jesus, you'll know love. And so every day, listen to this. Listen to this a second. Hang with me. I, I, I know. I, I, hang with me. Every day, he had people around him who would carry him. <laughs> How did he get to the gate? Every day. He got there because every day somebody carried him there. He had people around him who carried him, who placed him there. And what happens is, people say, well, I don't want you in my life if you won't carry me. I don't want you in my life. I don't want to hang with you because you don't carry me. What happens is, when we live in lameness, we build our lives we, we sometimes choose people in our lives by what's wrong with us. <laughs> you don't see a dope addict searching out a bunch of free businessmen to learn how they can come out of their dope. Well, they do. They get around other dope addicts. And when we're lame, we always surround ourselves with people in our lives by what's wrong with us. Because that codependent relationship supports, you know, supports us 
Instead of having a hunger for God that would change us, we would rather have the codependency that supports my lameness than to seek God who can change me and make me whole again. (laughs) In other words, they manifest in the lives of people who have given up on being independent. They need you in their life because of what doesn't work in their life. Y'all hang with me. I love you. And what happens is we allow people to come in our lives and what happens is certain people are in our lives because we are crippled. Certain people are in our lives because they like the fact that you need them. <laughs> they like the fact that you they like the fact you're crippled because as long as you're crippled they they know you need them. They were carrying him to the gate every day and as long as he was crippled the people in his life felt a sense that they had a job. And guess what? They didn't want him healed. You know why they didn't want him healed? Because they would lose their influence. They would lose their ability to carry him and their ability to be in his life because they wanted him lame so that they would have something to do. And I've seen many times people get saved and what happens is people that have carried them, people that have influenced them, people that have, that have used the fact that they were broken and used the fact that they were dysfunctional, and all of a sudden now you don't need that person anymore and they think you don't love them or care about them anymore, but instead of changing themselves and being removed from a codependent relationship, and instead of, instead of getting right with God also and have a healthy relationship, they would rather see you fail than to see you whole. And so every day they would bring him to that spot. See, some people don't want to see you better. Some people don't want you to be better. Because in order to be better, it disrupts their system. It disrupts all of a sudden now for this lame man to be healed he now has responsibility. For this lame man to be healed, he no longer has excuses. For this lame man to be healed, he no longer can go back to the gate beautiful and and, and beg anymore. He doesn't need somebody to carry him anymore. He doesn't need, he doesn't have an excuse to be lame. And a lot of people don't want to be better because they know in order to be better, it requires them another level of responsibility in their life. So they like being lame so that people will feel sorry for them where they are. And the problem is some of you all are carrying people that don't need to be carried. Okay. So Peter, they come up, and they come up, and he sits in the same spot. And as they come up in verse 3, it says, and he asked for alms. He asked Peter and John for alms. He says, he asked them for alms. And the first thing they did was, as, as he asked for alms, he said, look upon us. They said, look upon us. Look upon us. Now, why doesn't he ask for healing? Why didn't he ask for healing? Why didn't he just ask ask for healing? Because if you've never experienced walking, then all your hope to walk is gone. 
And so they said, look upon us. See, what happens is, Peter and John was about to take him away from what was normal to him and bring him into a place of wholeness, which would be scary to him. Because anytime we're taken away from what is normal in our life, there has to be change and transition. In other words, he didn't say, he didn't ask them to heal him. He just wanted them to feed him. He just wanted them, he just wanted them to empower him where he was. He wanted them to just go ahead and let him stay. Don't fix me. Feed my condition. Don't fix me. Feed my condition. Don't fix me. I don't want to be fixed. I just want to be fed. I don't want to be fixed. I just want to remain where I am. I don't want to, I don't want to grow. I don't want to, because to grow, there's courage. You have to have courage to grow. You have to have courage to get well. You have to have courage in order to, to, get, to go to another place in God. And what happened is, is that Peter and John are saying, hey, we're not just going to feed you and feed into your lameness. We've come here that you might be healed of your lameness, that you may be able to go and have courage to go to another level. We're not going to feed you, but we're going to introduce you to the one who can fix you. And I'm here to tell you that it's time for the body of Christ to stop feeding people in their lameness and start fixing them where they are so that they can move into a place of wholeness in their life. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. Just feed me. Don't fix me. Just feed me. Oh, baby, I don't want to marry you. I just want to sleep with you. Don't fix me. Just feed me. Honey, I don't want to marry you. That means I'll have to be a wife and I'll have to come home. I'll have to do certain things. Don't fix me. Just feed me. <laughs> because my lameness has been my normal so long, I have built things around me that I can function and that I'm function, but God's glory is not on it. God's hand is not on it. But I'm happy being broken because being broken, I don't have responsibility. Being broken, I don't have to be mature. Being broken, I don't have to answer to nobody for my behavior. Being broken, I can do what I want. I just want you to feed me. I don't want you to fix me. <laughs> but there is a glory. There is a God who can reach down and touch men right where they are and where, and where they have been lame. God can fix them and touch them and bring them back to a place of wholeness again. Woo! They said, such as we have, such as we have, such as we have. Silver and gold have not, but such as we have. 
In other words, embrace the possibility that you can live life differently. Come on. All the lame folks need to know that such as we have, the church should be carrying something that has the ability to raise the lame man up that he should be able to live differently. We're not here to just feed you and leave you, but we're here to let the Spirit of God fix you and raise you up and give you an embrace and for you to embrace a possibility that you can live at a greater level than where you are right now. Come on, y'all. How many are thankful that Jesus healed your lameness? I'm not mad. I'm just... (laughs) It's a new normal. Come on, some of y'all need a new normal. Some of y'all need a new normal. Quit leaning on those things. Quit using, quit, quit living in a false sense of security. Quit hiding what's made you lame. Here, Jesus, help us. This is a picture. This is a picture. And they laid, and, then, and what happened was, silver and gold have we none, but such as I have, I give unto you. And they said, arise and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. Whoo. Listen, let's just be honest with you, with us, each other this morning. Every one of us has something that doesn't work right in our life. Every one of us have an area where we might struggle and the devil throws up in your face. Praise God now. Praise God now. Throws up your weakness in your face and says, praise God now in the midst of what you are and your lameness. Throws up in your face and says, where's your God now? Where's your God now? A God who's supposed to, a God you're supposed to walk in power with, a God you're supposed to know intimately, yet you have this lameness in your life. Where's your God now? Isn't that what the devil says? Where's your God now? When you mess up, where's your God now? Where's your God now? Where's your God now? Now, they said, rise. And walk. Now what happened to him was. He didn't have a problem with the word rise. Because he's done that before. He said people raise him up. And bring him. Raise him up. And set him down. He understood that word. Rise. But what he didn't understand. When they said rise and walk. That was different. And when you look at the text, you look at it, he had no point of reference. And when you look at the verse, when it says, rise and walk, and asking to rise and walk, it said, expecting to read something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have, but I have what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise and walk. And nothing happened. <laughs> you ever prayed for somebody? 
that needed healing and nothing happened? You ever pray for somebody that needed a breakthrough and nothing happened? Now, Peter and John, if they would have been like us, some of us, we would have felt good about what we did and we would have walked by and left that man lame where he was because we had the badge of religious activity that said, well, I prayed for him. Well, I talked to her. I know she's crazy, but I, I, tried, to, I tried to talk to her. I tried to break some sense into him. I said, boy, you better change. Thank God for men like Peter and John who weren't going to take no for an answer, who weren't going to allow him to remain in his lameness, who wasn't going to allow him to remain where he was. How many know there's got to be a perseverance in the body of Christ that says that when we come in contact with a world that's lame, we're going to make sure that we don't leave them that way. We're going to be tenacious and say, hey, we're not giving up and stopping until you are made whole. Rise and walk. And then when he didn't walk, I love Peter. Peter, I mean, old radical Peter. Old walking on the water Peter. Old cutting off the soldier's ear Peter. Old cussing Peter. Huh? Old radical Peter. Don't you love Peter? Peter said, ah, this ain't working. So the Bible said, and Peter took him by the hand. Said he took him by the hand. Look, it's what it read. I read it. It's in the Bible. It said it took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Lifted him up. The actual Greek word means he yanked him. He didn't just say, come on, brother. Let's walk together. No, Peter said, he said, give me your hand. He yanked him. He yanked him. Took him by the hand. Mm. He put a demand on him. Put a demand on him. He put a demand on him. He yanked him. He damaged. Listen. Woo, dear Jesus. When they, listen, they prayed for him in the name of Jesus, right? They had the right name. They had the right message. Right? But nothing happened. They didn't do anything wrong. They did all the protocol. They did everything they were taught in seminary. Right? But here's the difference. We're not just to be those who confess the word, but we're also to be those who demonstrate the word. <laughs> because they confessed the word and then they demonstrated the word. And they grabbed him by the hand and they yanked him up. And the Bible says they yanked him. And when they yanked him, he immediately immediately received, look what it says, it says he immediately, his feet and ankle bones did what? They received strength. They received strength. <laughs> immediately. In other words, strength didn't come 
where it wasn't needed. It came where it was needed. And a lot of times we remain lame. We are strengthened at times in church. We're just not strengthened where we need to be strengthened. Because we never give God the opportunity to strengthen us where we need to be strengthened. We don't give God the opportunity to strengthen us where we're lame. The question is, where are you lame this morning? Where can God strengthen you? Where can God touch you? Where's your lameness that God can touch this morning? Where's your lameness that God can can reach down and touch you this morning? Where can God touch you? What is broken this morning? Where can you receive strength at this morning? Where Where do you need strength this morning? Pastor Adam, come. Where do you need strength? It's one thing to allow God to strengthen us in areas where we don't need strength. But hey, you're not going to fix your lameness until you allow God to strengthen you in the area where you need strengthen. And we need to let God strengthen us. Listen. Such a small thing shut down a whole man's life. Isn't it amazing how small things can shut down? Small things can shut down your whole life. One area of lameness can shut down your whole life. Isn't it amazing? And what has to happen is you got to be like the lame man. you got to say, today's got to be the day when you fire everybody that carries you. And say, I'm going to let God touch the area of my life where I need strength. Every area of my life where there's lameness. Stand with me this morning, if you would. Now, I want to pray for you this morning. Some of you, the Holy Spirit needs to yank you. Just yank you. And immediately, strength came into his ankles. I was reading Matthew Henry's commentary on this, and it said, what happened was, is this man... His paralysis left him literally with no ankles. He was born with no ankles. And it said that when, when he received strength, it was a supernatural miracle where God grew ankle bones for this man so that he could walk. In other words, the word, the word meant that God reconstructed what was missing and what was broken. How many know when God restores, when God fixes, He just doesn't fix it, but He restores it. And the way He restores it is He creates something new where there used to be something old that kept you lame. 
How many are ready to let God do something new in an area of your life that has been broken for so long? And it's been broken for so long, it's kept you lame. It may be a small thing, but it's kept you lame. It's kept you codependent upon people. It kept you codependent. Spiritually, you've not been able to grow because you've never let God give you strength in those areas. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're like me. Maybe the devil's tied you up and said, sing now. Where's your God now? Whenever your weakness is brought up before you, you realize you're not the best mom or you realize you're not the best wife or you realize you've done something that's a disappointment to someone else and all of a sudden the devil says, where's your God now? Where's your God now? Where's your God now? Sing now. Sing now in the middle of your sickness. Sing now. It's a temptation. But the children of Israel said it like this. They said, if we stop remembering Jerusalem, let, the, let our tongues cling to the root of our mouth that we may not be able to sing and worship again. If we forget God, and regardless of how bad things get, you can't forget God. You can't forget. You can't stop singing. You can't stop worshiping God. Matter of fact, that's the time we really need to worship God. And so if you're here this morning and you need strength, there's an area in your life that you need strength, I want you to step out of where you are and come down to this altar. And we're going to pray with you and pray for you this morning. If you need strength, come on. If you have an area where you need strength this morning, you need something to grow back. You need God to put his hand on something again. Hallelujah. You're tired of being codependent? You got to start removing people out of your life that want you to be broken so they can remain broken. But today's the day that God's going to fix you. Today's the day God's going to fix it. God's going to make it right. He's going to make it whole. You're no longer going to be lame, but you're going to be whole. Now listen, here's what happened. The Bible said immediately he was healed. And the Bible said, and they went into where? Where'd they go? They went into the temple, and the Bible says that he was leaping, singing, and praising God. Now, where was he before? He was lame outside the temple. Now, he's in the temple. You know how he got in the temple? He had to go through the gates. He had to go through the gate of rightness. He had to go through the gate of maturity. He had to go through the gate of fruitfulness. And when he went through the gate of fruitfulness, he was able to enter into the place of worship. And some of you this morning, God's going to heal your lameness, but you've got, it said he leaned on Peter and John as he went into the gate. Later, Peter and John was persecuted for his healing. Those of you that are down here, I want you just to lift your hands to the Lord. Just lift your hands to the Lord. He's going to fix your lameness this morning. Pastor Adam, begin to worship, begin to sing as we pray for these. Guys, I need a couple. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.